Welcome back to the podcast. And in this month, month of November, we are going to focus on preaching. Uh, my friend Marlene Webster was back on the podcast. She was one of the early episodes two years ago. So I think episode five, maybe. And she's a church planter uh, and a county commissioner somewhere in Michigan, north of me. And uh, we talk about preaching, but specifically using the lectionary. And she's discovered a way to uh, create sermon series while using the lectionary. So we talk about that. This is a this is a really a how-to practical episode. You're going to enjoy it. We do get into we started talking a little bit of theology and doctrine, and that was that was fun. Um, you know, one of the big takeaways for me was, you know, that if we're preaching the lectionary, um, we're going to come across passages that, you know, this would not be our first choice, right? Uh, and we're really going to have to wrestle with the text, which is why, you know, we might typically avoid that passage. But when we, um, when we spend time wrestling with the text and the things of God, it actually makes us a better pastor for our people. So I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. And depending on when you listen to this, you still have time to sign up for the Preaching Lab, which is uh, the 5th and 6th of November. Um, and then we're going we're gonna to do some more. I'm going to talk a little bit about my own planning, how I, how I write my sermons, how I plan my sermons out for the year, because I tend to plan a little bit further out. Uh, and then I have a couple other guests that are going to come on this month also. Uh, and then towards the end of the month and in December, we're going to talk about self-care. So if you have questions, comments for either the topic of preaching or self-care, DM me because I'd like to include those in my episodes. So hang in there. You're coming down to the end of 2020. God's going to help you get through this. Uh, we can do it together. We can do hard things and we will be better because of it. So enjoy the episode. We really need to tell better stories instead of complaining about it, right? What if we right. just start telling the stories and really flood the airwaves? with something different. Did you hit the gym already? Yep, sure did. Five o'clock every morning. Well, not Wednesdays and not on the weekends. We do Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. So Wednesdays I have been trying to use as my sleep-in day, although that's gotten to be impossible. And I also just try not to book things on Wednesday morning, just kind of a little respite. My life's been pretty intense with being a county commissioner in recent weeks. And so just always trying to find a little more rest. That's right. Because the last time you were on the podcast, it was election year. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I got elected and I'm running unopposed this year. Yeah. So but now I made some big waves last week. Um, Uh-oh. So. so it's it's a two-year because you it's got elected as county commissioner. Yeah, every two years. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I know. I was thinking it, it was four year. So you're running unopposed, but you made waves, huh? Yeah. The, anyway, integrity. It matters. Yeah, I don't want to talk about that anymore, but that's where I am. <laughs> so I've been trying to get a little, honestly, just in general, in the last year, I've been doing a much better job of, of planning rest into my life. So I'm doing this Wednesday um, class with Kenneth Tanner. I don't know if you know who he is. He pastors down in your area. He pastors, I think, in Rochester Hills. Um, a, he's not a Nazarene, but he's just a profound, like, orthodox type thinker. He's a, he's actually a, I think he pastors a charismatic Episcopal church. Go figure. Um, but it's very liturgical. Um, and he is just an incredible thinker. So he's one of them. There's an Orthodox priest, John Baer. There's a woman named Cherith Nordling, who I think used to be a Calvin, but she's a pretty deconstructed Calvinist. And uh, there's about six people. Uh, Brad Jersak, I don't know if you've heard of him. Uh, he's oh, a former, yeah. former evangelical converted to Orthodox. And they're leading a study of first 26 weeks on the Gospel of John. And so... Oh. I have that at noon on Wednesdays. So like Wednesdays is just kind of this little rest and fill up kind of day for me. When did they start that? I think we're in about our sixth week. Oh, I would love yeah, it. Close registration. Oh, you would, it would just blow your mind. I'll, we should, my favorite. We'll have to have a separate conversation where we talk. Well, just for starters, the whole, we spent one whole week, actually about a week and a half on the prologue. And, you know, we always read that verse at Christmas time that says, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Right. And Father John Bear says, we imagine like a pre-incarnate word, but the word was never pre-incarnate. The word, because there, for God, there is no time before or time after that Jesus was always incarnate. And I've heard other people say this, and that if you walk through the sequence of the, um, prologue in the beginning was the word and the word was with God he came to his own and his own did not receive him as many as received him and gave him the right to become the sons of God and goes through this whole thing and then it says and the word became flesh and made his live dwelling among us he says that that is Jesus dying on the cross and giving his body as the life for the world like in the Eucharist so that when we receive the body and blood of Jesus it says the word became flesh and tabernacled in us right and we beheld his glory like oh my god and so then he says that whole prologue is like the the theme of a symphony for the whole gospel of john in the prologue is everything he came to his own and his own did not receive him as many as received him and that's what is laid out the samaritan woman the it's just laid out all the way through i get goosebumps just talking about it it's so incredible i just yeah. wow yeah. It's, my, it's my favorite i mean that's i came to faith and reading John's gospel. So, mm -hmm. but it's my, so it's my favorite gospel. It's my favorite. Oh, that's really fun. So is it like a zoom kind of thing? It's a zoom thing. There's several hundred people who participate in it from all over the country um, and all and around the world, really. Father John Bear, you could look him up on YouTube. He is, it's really kind of cool because most of the people who are there are deconstructing from Calvinism. And yeah. when John Bear talks and he talks about sort of the glory of God, the glory talked about in the gospel of John is the cross. The glory is martyrdom. The glory is sacrifice. And that literally the goal of being a follower of Jesus is to die. Well, that was some of the stuff is really hard for like deconstructed Calvinists. They've kind of come to this as they've deconstructed from Calvinism, which is 
just so harsh, they've kind of come to a place of almost no requirement, right? And then, and then he says, the requirement is that we die. And as I'm listening to him, I'm thinking, this is why, I mean, this is so much easier for me because this is John Wesley, right. which is why John Wesley loved the Eastern Orthodox. John Bear is like one of the leading scholars in the world on second, second century um, church fathers and on the gospel of John. So it is just, it is like drinking for, I can't take notes fast enough. And they record them and then um, put them up in a Vimeo thing so we can watch them later. Cause you have to kind of watch them a couple of times. It's just too right. thick. It's awesome. Oh, I'll have to yeah. wait. I have. Study worship that. for me on Wednesdays at noon. It's awesome. A Jad, a Brad Jersak. Yeah, Jersak. Yeah, I'm reading his. I'm reading his, one of his books right now. Didn't he do one on hell? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, I'm reading that, and then I have I have a couple of them in my to read list, and mm-hmm. I like. I, and it was one of these weird things where I was reading an article, and somebody mentioned him, and then I fell down this rabbit hole, you know, yeah. in the internet, and I'm like. Who is this guy? Where did he come from? And how yeah, come he's I didn't awesome. Yeah. Um, if you look up John Bear, B-E-H-R, um, he's Scottish. It's kind of fun to listen to him. Oh, um, yeah. But he has some, he has a, a clip on several clips on YouTube unrelated to the Gospel of John. But uh, his hermeneutic, he says the hermeneutic for the whole entire scripture. And I'm going to talk about that a little in the podcast today, cool. is the passion of Jesus. Um, that every, you know, the early church fathers interpreted all of scripture as allegory and that all of it is an allegory for the passion and that that's the lens through which, which to interpret scripture. It's, it's good stuff. Yeah. He says, and I'm, I'm going to say this as part of the podcast too, is that Jesus told who he was exclusively using Old Testament scripture. And as followers of Jesus, we should be able to do the same. And that's one reason I love the lectionary because we avoid the Old Testament and some of those passages because we don't know what to do with them. And he says, and he also refuses to call it the Old Testament because he said Jesus called it the scripture. And if you can make an argument for why you should call it something other than Jesus called it, I'll hear it. But Jesus said it's the scripture. It's not old. So, yeah. yeah. First, I know, I know, I can yeah, try to, to yeah. say first covenant and use yeah, that language yeah. more. First and second, yeah. Yeah. Uh, or I should say first and new, New Testament, new covenant. So it's kind of all in one covenant, really, but it is expressed maybe differently, but yeah, fulfilled, really, right? New covenant yeah. is the fulfilled covenant. All right. Well, let's talk about lecture. I'm making November preaching month. I saw um, that on the podcast. Yeah. So you get to start it off. Okay. The lectionary. And I, th- I think there are, there are more people who are beginning to use the lectionary. Um, but I think there's still plenty uh, who just don't even understand it. They don't know what it is. They don't know where to find it. They certainly don't know. Like one of the things I, that you mentioned I thought was fascinating is that you make series out of it because mm-hmm. I've looked at it and I'm, I'm just so, I'm, I'm a serious person. I just want to be able to plan ahead, you know, and, and kind of. Oh, have- I, I love to talk about how I do that. I, okay. I yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so let's start with just talk about what it is, where you find it. Okay. And Yeah. Well, the lectionary is a three-year cycle of, of readings. Um, 
that includes every week a reading from Old Testament scripture, a psalm, um, a reading from an, an epistle usually, something in the New Testament, not one of the gospels, and then a gospel reading. And each year, it's in a three-year cycle, year A, B, and C. So year A is Matthew, B is Mark, C is Luke. And then John is dispersed through them in some of the special seasons like Easter and Lent and, and other time, uh, Pentecost and those kinds of things. So there are a few, lots of places. I mean, you just Google. The place I usually go is Vanderbilt Divinity Lectionary Library. And they have um, in several formats, I like to go through uh, every few months, about every three months, they have a PDF format that has all four of the texts on it. Um, and usually some sort of artwork, which I think is kind of cool that kind of represents the theme. And I print those. Um, there's also a site called The Text This Week, which is has been an awesome resource. The woman who runs it is, has some challenges going on in her life right now and she's not updating it as much as she did but it it would take the text every week and every resource that she could find that was related to that text from a broad very very broad spectrum of theological perspectives um very liberal all the way to church fathers whoever wrote anything or gave any suggestions about this text they're all there so that's a really neat resource and usually songs and and, and not a lot of them are hymns and those kinds of things, but a lot of times a hymn will trigger another song that I know we know. So there's just a lot of resources. So that's kind of the overview of where it is and how you find it. And also on the text this week, they have it indexed by scripture. So like sometimes I'll find something really awesome about, um, I, I just was looking at Revelation as a result of that Gospel of John class. And um and thought, man, I can't wait to preach on Revelation again. When is that coming up in the lectionary? So at the text this week, I can go click on the book of Revelation and it'll show me what weeks and months that's coming up. Unfortunately, it's about a year and a half away. We're about halfway back to it. So I got to wait, <laughs> give me some time to build my stuff up. Uh, but that's what it is. I'm going to, I'll make sure that those get in the the Vanderbilt and uh -huh. then the text uh -huh. this week. I'll put that in the show notes and stuff. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um, and so, how, okay, how did you get started? Did you always preach lectionary? I've been a lectionary preacher since, so for the eight years that I've been a lead pastor, I can't remember exactly how I got started. I think I had some colleagues who started, might've started also a little while I was working on my master's at NNU. Honestly, when I was a children's pastor, I, I started playing around with using the lectionary sometimes even in children's ministry. Um, so it, it's, and it's just sort of, grown on me over time. I was raised in a very conservative evangelical church, much more conservative than the Church of the Nazarene. And the thought of, of not sort of week by week kind of sticking your finger up in the air and seeing which way the wind is blowing and what God wants you to <laughs> preach, just if it was planned too far ahead, it couldn't possibly be the Holy Spirit. So it was, you know, it was a big change for me uh, to pick up the lectionary and now that I have, um, I, I went off lectionary this summer for a few, several weeks, probably about eight weeks at, um, uh, actually it was 12, at City Church. And I, so I came back to it the first week of October and it was like breathing again. It was just so <laughs> refreshing to me to have, uh, to look at all four of those texts and see how they speak with one voice and how 
Um, there's so much life for me, there's life in that. And the reason that I, that I love the lectionary now is because, well, there's kind of two things. Like you said, you like to plan ahead, nothing like planning ahead, like being able to know 18 years from now on this Sunday, what will I preach? I could know that, right? Not exactly, but that's a, a thing. But also I think deeper than that is that if I'm always picking the text, I have my biases, I have my preferred ways of being, and I'm going to pick things I like. And if I'm, and if I'm having a rough week, I'm going to pick something easy, right? Yeah. What can I preach? That's the slow, low pitch today. Um, and the lectionary, instead of me sort of taking the text and wrestling it to say what I needed to say, is that I find as I read the text, and sometimes I'll come to one and think, ha, I, I'm not preaching this. I mean, this Sundays is not, this coming Sundays is, you know, you lay heavy burdens on people's backs and don't do a finger to lift them, the whole Jesus and the Pharisees kind of thing. And uh, so I'm still wrestling with that to see where I'm going. And I find that there comes a point then as I'm prepping that the text has wrestled me because it's not what I would have picked. If I pick it, I'm not going to pick something that will wrestle me. Mm -hmm. Just so life-giving, really, and, and has been transformative for me as a preacher, not just in my task of preaching, but as a person in my own formation to be forced to look at scriptures I might otherwise look over. Yeah. And when you preach, on, so do you just, because there's four. I mean, I have a Catholic background, so I know I understand the lectionary, yep, but yep. Um, do you just choose one or do you try to weave all of them in? So I, I've, I use all of them in the service. Typically I preach from the gospel, although in recent weeks, especially because of this gospel of John class that I'm in, I'm thinking, and I, and I know other lectionary preachers who really pay a lot more attention to the Old Testament writings and I want to start doing that more um you know the the reality is that with four texts in three every Sunday for three years you could go 12 years and never repeat a text for a sermon um sometimes I'll you know usually whatever text I've picked I don't try to like smash all four of them together in one sermon but I'll reference remember what we heard when we heard the exodus reading this morning what kind of god does that tell us about and how is that the same or different than what we're hearing Matthew say or whatever so I'll reference them but usually I just use it more to help me establish a theme of the service yeah yeah we're we're in we've been in Ezra and Nehemiah for eight weeks so we just we just finished that Mm -hmm. and no, I created my own, I created my own series out of that. Mm -hmm. um, I try to balance and do every other, you know, New Testament, Old Testament, mm -hmm. but yeah, it is true. Uh, I mean, if I had my favorites, I pretty much just preach out of probably Genesis, Luke, and John, and that's it, you know, yeah. if I had my preference, maybe a few, and a few parts of Acts, uh, mm -hmm. and so, you know, I'm always trying to stretch myself, mm -hmm. and last year my son was like mom you've never preached out of job and i'm like because it's my least favorite book of the bible <laughs> you know so he challenged me and he's you know i just did a four-week series but yeah I, that idea of if you're preaching the lectionary job's gonna come up you know yeah i will say this summer the reason i went off um lectionary 
was that um, I wanted to do a series on the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, we, I had, uh, Brian Zond does this thing where he does a um, finding God on my iPod or finding God on my playlist. And so I had thrown that out to the church and they submitted these songs. And I started one day, I was listening to, the, I was just listening to song, their songs that they submitted and trying to find a scripture to go with it. That was my summer thing. Lectionary is way easier, let me just tell you. And, um, <laughs> And I thought this song really sounds like the book of Ecclesiastes, but I, I don't like Ecclesiastes. I've never really preached from it. And so I went and found a book on the book of Ecclesiastes and started reading that book. And it was so fresh. It was so, um, it was something like living life with, you know, uh, beginning with the end in mind kind of thing. Right. And it totally, we spent about eight weeks in Ecclesiastes. And in the lectionary, there's only two readings from Ecclesiastes. Wow. So... I was glad that I went off lectionary for that because I felt, and, and at the end, we were all just felt like Ecclesiastes said something so fresh and new to us. And it was so timely for our time about how everything in the world is just, it's vaporous. And what, how do we live our lives in light of the fact that everything is slipping away? Um, oh, it was good. So I was glad, you know, that I went off lectionary and, and it is one of those places and I don't know why. The lectionary only uses Ecclesiastes. It's the to everything. There's a time and a season, and I remember the Creator in the days of your youth. That's all that's in the lectionary. And even when I do go off lectionary, like that one, I went and did that book search thing to try to find what other texts are connected to the Ecclesiastes reading that I could use in worship, and there it's just not there. So um, the lectionary does ignore big chunks of some books, which is why it's good to go off lectionary sometimes. Yeah. All right, now I am fascinated about how you create sermon series because that's mm -hmm. my big thing. Like once I discovered, because you can do a big chunk of work up front, you know, and so especially like your your background, your context, that kind of stuff. So you can do a big chunk up front, mm -hmm. spread out over several weeks. Um, so, and I have never figured out how I would ever do that in the lectionary. So I want to know, What's your secret? So what I do is, like I said, I'll go through every few months and I'll print out all of the text for what's coming up. I don't plan sermons way, way out. I'm never, maybe six months at most. So three to six is my plan. plan. So every few months I'll take a retreat and I'll go print out all those texts. The last time I did it, I actually made like a little chart. I, I did this exercise where I put the dates and I put... Uh, like First Testament, Psalm, Epistle, Gospel at the top. And I read each of those scriptures and I forced myself to write one word. Summarize the Old Testament reading in one word, glory, help, whatever. So I went all the way across like that. So that at the end, I had four words about each Sunday, right? And then when you do that, you start to see themes emerge because you're reading straight through certain passages. Like yeah. you're reading straight through Matthew. You're reading straight through Exodus. It doesn't jump all over. You're going straight through a book. And usually there's a similar kind of thing. So I'll give you an example of that. After Easter this past year, the epistle reading was First Peter. And so I did a series on uh, finding hope in a world of hurt and because that's the theme of first Peter. And I just preached from first Peter 
and used. So I made a series out of that. Last year in Matthew, back in the beginning of this year, which seems like it was a hundred years ago now, but um, in like February, March, it was the Sermon on the Mount. We were early in Matthew. And so I made that into a series about living right side up in an upside down world. So I just took what scripture was there and tried to put a theme across it and, and then preach that way. So it takes, you know, you have to, if you do, if you look one week at a time at the lectionary, that's not going to happen. But if you read 12 weeks, take a day and read all the scriptures for all 12 weeks and make some notes, however you choose to do that, then you start to see some chunks like, oh, in this month, I could do a series right here. Right. I do a series on this. I didn't call what we have going on right now in Matthew a series, but I could have put a name on it because it is a whole series of conflicts that Jesus has with the Pharisees and how he's contrasting the, the kingdom, the empire, the empire, the religious order and the kingdom of God. And it's just one conversation, one parable after another, lesson after lesson about how one of these things is not like the other. So, you know, just kind of playing with it like that. Um, that's how I come up with series. So you can either identify, like the epistles make it easy. Usually the epistles only last five or six weeks. So if you preach from the epistle, um, you can usually, you know, the epistles are pretty themed themselves. You know, there's a general theme to each epistle. So you could pull that out. And then pretty much the chunks of the, uh, the gospels are pretty themed too. So that's how I do that. I mean, I have so many questions and you, well, I have, I made a little list this morning. Let me, let me tell you what my list is, why I preach the lectionary. Okay. Um, so I have a few of those and then you can pull out what you want from this. One is that the lectionary is arranged. So beginning with Advent until Pentecost, we're looking primarily at the nature of God. You're looking at the events in the life of Christ from his birth to the ascension and to the sending of the Holy Spirit. You get a big picture of father, son, and Holy Spirit and what the nature of God is. So to me, I think of that as like the breathing in. We're being pulled into God and we're being, we're getting an idea of what his nature is like. And then at Pentecost, we get breathed out into the world. So the second half of the lectionary then is the life of the church. How then shall we live? And so that happened. I love that rhythm. You know, it's, it's right. a beautiful rhythm and it fits with all of the seasons and, ev and events in the life of Jesus, the things that we celebrate that we call holidays. Um, so that's one reason I love that rhythm of the lectionary. I also love that it forces us, and we've already talked about this, to look at the whole of scripture to make the connections between the second testament and the first testament and, and to see those where sometimes we overlook them because we pick one or the other. And even if you don't preach from both of them in a Sunday, that text has still been read and people can make connections. Yeah. Um, and I've already mentioned how the text wrestles me, um, you know, that, um, that's a really important one that I, I don't get to pick my favorite passages, but I have to choose some of the texts that I would go, not this week. <laughs> right. But another reason I love the lectionary is because it excuses me from having to take blame for what I preach. Right. So right now, a lot. Two weeks ago, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God's what is God's. Hey, I didn't make that up. Right? right? <laughs> That's the lectionary. You can take that up with Jesus. I didn't choose to preach a political message. He said that, not me. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful to me 
that pretty much every year, because you're always coming toward the end of the gospel around election time, and there's always this conflict because Jesus is about to be crucified. So whether you're in Matthew, Mark, or Luke, around election time, uh, we got something to say. And I don't, because I have faithfully followed the lectionary right up to that point, I just am going to the next week, right? Mm -hmm. So nobody can say I'm trying to be political because I'm just preaching the lectionary. And I have found so, so many times that the lectionary just somehow fits what, what what is happening with us you know oh, it's yeah. like just like first peter what better book could you read during a pandemic than first <laughs> peter about people suffering and finding hope in christ in the middle of their suffering yeah their suffering was martyrdom which is different than ours although we think it's the same but um <laughs> but but it's just it's really beautiful how that works out and i and so i i uh i can lean on the lectionary then and just say this is the word of God for the people of God. I didn't pick it. Right. Yeah, I do my planning at the end of December. Um, well, actually kind of like that week between Christmas and New Year. And so I plan out. So like when I got up to preach out of Ezra and Nehemiah, <laughs> I'm like, look, I had this written in January. So I don't want to hear it. You know, like, yeah, same kind of thing. If you're in a missionary, it you can just, well, this is what, this, this is what it is. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. So you help so you don't plan that far out. How far out do you plan for your series? Well, then? it depends. Um, you know, I like to be I like to, so so my planning obviously happens in different stages of uh you know, three to six months out, I know what the major theme is gonna be. Um, yeah. and maybe even a series if I've decided to make a series out of it. Um, and then kind of narrowing it down as I get closer. So, you know, I do plan week to week. I mean, I, I um, don't do outlines or anything until I usually try to do a draft Monday or Tuesday, you know, so read, read commentaries, listen to some preachers on Monday. So, so the real solid planning happens in that week. And one of the reasons I do that is because I want it to be super relevant Oh yeah. What's happening right now. So, so nailing it way down doesn't happen until the week, but you know, I, some things I'm already looking out, like, like I said, the revelation thing, I already know that a year and a half from now, when I get to the, when we get to that chunk of the, of the lectionary where it's going to be revelation, I'm going to preach on that. And I'm reading a book right now um, that I'm going to, that's going to be my material for that. So in that sense, I'm planning a year and a half for that series. So it depends on what I find. I also started a thing one time. I have a spreadsheet. It has every book in the Bible and the chapters like as a tab. So if I find a resource or something, I can plug it into that spreadsheet. And then when I get to those texts, I can go back and look it up. So I hear an amazing sermon on Matthew 6 or something. I'll write down the outline and stick it in my notes. So when I come back around to Matthew 6, I got it there. Or a book that I've read that I think, oh, this book speaks to Ecclesiastes. So I remind myself of that. Yeah, that's nice. Um, we're going to do, we're starting a series this week, just four weeks and called Breathe, Making Room for Sabbath. So we're going to spend four weeks focusing on why you need it, how to do it, mm-hmm. uh, all that kind of stuff. And yeah, same kind of thing. So I knew this was coming up and I was watching an interview of somebody I'm like oh yeah this is going to be for that down the road Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
do you take like a week off and you do pre like where you kind of plan your preaching for three to six months? How often? No, do you I don't take a week off. I take about two or three days. Okay. Just two or three days. Cause I can in one day read through all of the texts for three or three months or so. Right. So I, I just have them all printed. You know, if you print them that way on those PDFs that they have on Vanderbilt Divinity Library, then I can either go through and highlight. I don't do the same thing every time, but I really liked that exercise I did last time of forcing myself to look for one word, summarize every single one of these. And then I could almost see a sequence of where the where we were moving um, and see some themes. So that's what your planning looks like if you do a two, three day, first two, day? Two, three day, time away. Usually like an Airbnb or something, I'll reserve a couple nights and take my books and pens and I'll spend time praying and just thinking about the next, I've, I've got to do it again. I've got, so I'm using Scott Daniels series for uh, Advent. So I'm good right now. <laughs> I did that on purpose. You know, I, I've, I've made some of my own Advent series um, in the past, just different themes, different ways to express it besides peace, hope, love, and joy. Because one year when I was reading through my text, I think it's it was all of the epistle readings had the word time in it. Time in it. Yeah. It's time for you to wake up. It's time. And so I did a theme on, do you know what time it is? And talked about the difference between Kronos and Kairos. You know, we live in Kronos time and Advent is an invitation to live in Kairos in the grace time. Um, so, and we did a lot of like cool little clocks and stuff for, for that. Um, but that was because as I was reading through all of those sheets, I, oh goodness, the word time is in all of these epistles. So I, you have to read those lectionary texts in big chunks in order to see those themes develop. If you just every week, what are the texts this week? What are the texts this week? It's not going to, those themes are not going to emerge. Um, so I, you know, I don't, like, because I, I want to know the trajectory of our story too. Once you've done it a few times, I mean, you start to learn, this is the theme and trajectory of Matthew and of Mark and Luke were taught that, but the more you preach it, the more that sort of emerges. But I am going to work harder in this coming year to not preach the gospel text and, uh, <laughs> and to try to preach one of the other ones. That's kind of my goal for, I mean, this, be, this is going to be my ninth year. So I've probably done Mark three times now you know, which is great. And and I don't worry too much about that because even if I preach the exact same ser sermons for the whole book of Mark, which I could never do, but even if I did, they don't remember what I preached three weeks ago, let alone three right? years ago. <laughs> so I don't worry too much about being repetitive. I'd just be excited if they remembered that one word. <laughs> now, there is a there is a guy I'm friends on Facebook with, and he seems to have a lot of uh, Nazarene friends connected with me so but I think he's in a United Methodist Church I want to his first name is Paul and I don't remember if it's Dazit or Dasset something like oh, that say, yeah yeah he so was he was Nazarene he's and then got this really cool tool that he's using for their church did you see that called Chronicles uh -uh. so he he has a, a sheet of paper that's divided into a grid of four and Monday is the first testament Tuesday is the psalm Wednesday is the Second Testament, Thursday is the Gospel, and he invites the people in his church to read all those texts and make notes about what they see in those, and then there's a circle in the middle of that grid that says intersections, and on Friday, they're supposed to figure out what, how those things intersect. 
So then they're prepping for Sunday as well, which is kind of cool. I've thought about using that as a tool, just a little idea I picked up uh, at preacher's conference this year that NTS did was that one of the best ways to sermon prep is to get other people. And if you can, if you have some friends who maybe are even non-Christian, who you ask, will you read these texts with me and do it a few months in advance? Like when I'm reading them, have them start reading so that they could give me what their questions might be about that, what their thoughts are about those texts and what they see as the intersections. I mean, that would be pretty awesome. So I've, I've talked to a couple of people in my church um, who are willing to start doing that with me to start reading the texts a few months in advance and giving me some of their notes and thoughts on them. So thinking about your congregation, what's like, what's the makeup of your congregation? Do you have a lot of people who grew up in the church? Are they new? So the, uh, the makeup of my congregation is kind of twofold. Most of the people in my congregation are under 40 and several young families. Most of them are people who have, who are deconstructing from some pretty crappy theology, young. So twenties and thirties, I mean, that's where they are. They, they, they're intellectual. They, it has to make sense to them. You know, it it has to just the sort of, it's true because I said it, or it's true because the Bible said it is just going to be, they're just not going to do it. It's just, that's not how it is. Right. Um, And so I, I seem to be, and, and when we started City Church, it was one of the things, I mean, I had been a children's pastor and I saw a lot of young adults walking away from the church because they couldn't, they felt like they were being asked as one of the guys in my church says to check their head at the door when they come to church. Yeah. So that's probably 70 to 80% of my congregation. And then we also have a lot of people who are in recovery, middle-aged people, young people, people from our drug court program, you know, people who are poor. So it's a, it's a pretty, the, the young people, the young couples that are part of my church, most of them own their own businesses. They're very entrepreneurial, very typical millennial or post-millennial, you know, yeah. whatever that typical is. I find them to be a huge gift. I'm blessed to pastor them, but it's challenging to me because they are very aware of the cult of America. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in, a, in a way, it's a really fun place to preach because it's, you know, there's never any like pushback when I preach a really challenging message about idolatry or, you know, commitments like, and that's what, that's why they're here. They want to hear that. They want to know that that's not who Jesus is because that's how it's been presented to them. And there are various forms of denominations. So in a sense, if I could use the word lucky, I'm privileged, I guess, to be able to preach to a whole bunch of really hungry people who receive this wholeheartedly that's and I get that there are people in more traditional churches that would if they preached what I preach would probably have to write letters of resignation <laughs> I get it and that's and that's why you and I are church- that's why we do what we do <laughs> I I tell my DS all the time don't you ever put me back in a regular church I can't do it I can't no. do it but it's fun, you know, it's because they read on their own. They're reading the books that I'm reading um, and they bring their own challenges and whatever. So it's, I don't get to phone it in. That's for sure. Because I have a, an aware congregation um, that's, that's wrestling with this stuff. So 
Yeah. I'm trying to figure out what the new makeup of my congregation is. Like I knew what it was pre pre COVID. And I know. so many are, even though we were back to in-person, so many are online mm-hmm. um, that I don't really know what, who, who am I preaching to? Like, so before I was a lot of previously unchurched Catholic Lutheran, you know, and so now I'm like, okay, is there anybody out there? Who's out there? Yeah, that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. uh, and then the and then the people I have in person, I'll, they're more evangelical, grew up in the church, et cetera, et cetera. So how I'm preaching is, I'm, I don't know, I'm just still trying to uh, navigate it and analyze our, are they receiving it? <laughs> you know, um, because I'm, I'm still kind of preaching the same way, but I'm feeling like, I don't know, I got, I guess I need to. It is weird. I mean, I, it was such a relief to be back in person just for having human interaction. I think one of the things I became most aware of during the pandemic is what a dynamic process preaching is. It is not me just delivering a word. It is a, it is an exchange that happens between yeah. Uh, pastor and and listeners preacher and listeners and and without that active listening on the other side it's just hard it's hard hard work uh, to preach to a camera even when we came back in person for a while we were broadcasting I had my laptop in front of me because we had a camera on and we ended up just putting everything kind of aside and the online people got a side view of me but I needed to see people. I, I can't, I don't want to look at a machine while I am preaching, you know, right. uh, now we're back inside and we have a camera mounted. So it all works out. Um, and even if things shut down again, which I think they might, I'm still going to preach from the church and I'm still going to invite five people or whatever, you know, have families rotate and each of you come once a week or something. Yeah. I pretty much so said, uh, if, if we have to go, if we have to shut down again, we'll broadcast from this location and I'll just have the staff because I'm, I'm not doing that again. Mm -hmm. That was Mm -hmm. so bad, so bad. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm an introvert. So you'd think I would be cool with it. No, it was, I would get off Sunday morning and have to go like immediately went and laid down. Mm -hmm. Exhausting. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I, I can't even imagine how much more it would have been for you. <laughs> and my mom, who we just have recently put in, um, she's now in assisted living, but she has dementia. And oh. part of her dementia involved some pretty crazy delusions about me being a murderer and I was going to be taken to prison and all this. So I'm preaching from my home on Sunday mornings with the the thought in my head that any minute my mom's going to burst in mm-hmm. <laughs> some crazy thing. Oh, 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 the grace that sustained it. And then, you know, you think, why am I so exhausted? For a long time, I was just going, going, going. Like, right. we, I, we don't miss a beat. We just kept going. And then by the time I got to August, I was like, I just feel like I've lived about three years and about six months right now. It's just, oh, yeah. right now is yeah. good. Just trying to keep in my mind that we might be going back into some form of shutdown and preparing for that. And just trying to imagine the seasons that we love of Advent and Christmas and everything being disembodied. It's a little weird. (laughs) Talk about the incarnation in a disembodied world. So weird. So weird. We're going to have all new skills. This is, it makes me think of, you know, 
course, we won't know for a couple more years, but I think of the, you know, all the baby boomers when they came back, you know, after, mm-hmm. you know, World War II, and they just lived in this bizarre world, or even like, like my grandparents who got married during the Great Depression, and, you know, the, the generation came after them just couldn't understand. And I think we're living through something that's going to so change us that like other gen- the next generations aren't going to understand it. Mm-hmm. We had that conversation when we first were shut down, we would, I would preach on Facebook live and then we would have a zoom session where people would just check in. And in those early days, I mean, I remember some Sundays we'd just get on there and pretty much sit there and cry because everybody was just so, you know, there was so much loss, so much loss, not including the death of people with COVID, but just all the events canceled and the graduations and all of the disconnect and everything and trying to find groceries and toilet paper. And, and um, we had one Sunday, just kind of, we had that conversation about what will our kids say about us? You know how we say, well, my great grandma used to wash paper plates and hang them on a clothesline. My my grandmother did the sandwich baggies, washed them out. Or cut an egg, you know, she'd make an egg for her her and my grandpa. I mean, she was also partly just stingy, but um, she (laughs) would cook an egg and cut it in half and they'd eat half an egg for dinner. Um, And so we were talking about what are the things that we're going to do that our kids and grandkids are going to say, why, you know, why do you have like a whole closet full of toilet paper? Why does everything in this house smell like bleach, you know? (laughs) Well, grandma lived through COVID. (laughs) Right. I, I went out and bought a bucket from my linen closet to put all the masks in. I'm like, <laughs> never in my life would yeah. I have thought I'd have a bucket specifically for masks in my linen closet. But. I know. Thinking about putting masks in my kids' Christmas stockings. My son is not coming home. And that that's really, he lives out in Seattle. We went to see him for a little bit in um, Washington State's doing better than we are right now. And he just, he doesn't think it's wise. And he said, you know, after the first of the year, the curve will come down again. And there will probably be a vaccine coming soon. And then I'll come home for an extended time. So it's going to be our first set of holidays, both Thanksgiving and Christmas without our son, which I know has to happen. He'll be 25 next week. I know it has to happen sometime, but I didn't want it to be this year, but it will. So (laughs) that's how it is. What about, what advice would you give someone who's like, okay, I'm, I'm ready to try to step out and experience this Lex, you Mm -hmm. know, lectionary preaching. Mm -hmm. Advice, resources, anything? Um, well, I mentioned the two resources, I think, and there's there's a growing number of those. You know, there are some Nazarenes now that have a podcast, a, a plain account, and a, and a blog that's very helpful. It gives weekly. Um, if you were just starting, I would say, I, I like the making series things because so, that kind of helps to tie the pieces together. I like to do that for my congregation, tying them together. If you started and did um, maybe just some seasons, you know, maybe if you didn't commit to a whole year of it, but look at the text and see if there's a way you could do, uh, you know, do all of Lent from the lectionary. Right. Um, or do post Easter, Easter to Pentecost from the lectionary. Um, and then, you know, do your series if you, but I think after you start to do it, there really are so many resources out there. If you just, you just simple Googles will just take you so many places it kind of frees you up to be a little more creative, I think. So I think just starting, you know, starting and, and um, alternating if you need to between the lectionary and your series um, and, and just seeing where that, 
where that goes, but don't skip passages <laughs> because they're hard. That's, that's what, I mean, even if you, even if you just didn't start preaching right away and just said, okay, I'm going to just every week for my personal devotion, start reading the lectionary text, do that intersections thing, read Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then if I had to preach this, you know, thing in Matthew about the tower crashing down and killing, or is it Luke, the, the tower oh, yeah. crashes down and kills a bunch of people. Now, if I had to preach that, what would I say? And once you start wrestling with that, I think you'll see why preaching lectionary is, I feel like not preaching lectionary, I can do really good work for my congregation preaching series, but I feel like preaching from the lectionary becomes very formative and transformative for me because it, it forces me to reconcile myself with the word in a way that just picking what I'm going to preach doesn't. So, yeah. Do you want us to pray that you get reelected or not? <laughs> I'm running unopposed. So I am reelected. I'm, I'm good. Pray, you know, I think praying that everywhere, I think um, there's a lack of true leadership in the world. Right. We are like sheep without shepherds right now. Yeah. People, the integrity, the example, the comp that we would think of in, in a leader. Now, I, so for me, like Ronald Reagan, as I've grown up, I've learned his policies are probably not something of which I would now approve. But I remember him <laughs> as a young adult. I remember thinking how much dignity he had and how much respect he had. And that's just gone. Like it, it is beyond juvenile on the national level, on the local level. And I always think about um, the verse that says, when the righteous rule, the people rejoice. Right. And when there's so much sadness and oppression and uh, unrest, it's because we are not being ruled by people whose lives are rightly ordered. And so I pray for that in our leadership, you know, that leaders, true leadership would emerge, not this sort of warmongering, stirring <laughs> things up kind of thing, but true, authentic authority, the kind that comes from God would emerge. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's easy to become so cynical. I, I, I was lamenting a couple weeks ago to, in my time of prayer and said, all the politicians, they're all corrupt. And, and God's like, what about your friend Marlene? Okay, but not her. <laughs> <laughs> and so anyway, it was, he was kind of trying to remind me of maybe, maybe all is not a good word. Maybe. <sighs> Yeah. yeah, and maybe that's it. We have to look for the people who, I mean, our local state representative, I don't always agree with all of his policies, but I believe him to be a man of integrity. And I, in this crazy world, I, you know, I appreciate that because I know how hard that is. You know, it's hard. Yeah. Um, It'd be nice to see that again. I think that, that the recent passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and her friendship with Anthony Scalia Right. It's such a beautiful picture of that. And it's just, right. it's lost, you know? Yeah. We have a local media person that yells at me. You're always, um, you're always caucusing with the Democrats. Like, he's like, can you explain to me why the Democrats love you? Cause I am a Republican. I've been a lifelong Republican. Um, although at this point I really would say I'm an independent <clears throat> and that's a hundred percent true of me. I'm an independent. Um, but I, I just like, really? that my fault is that everybody that 
people on both sides like me? I'm supposed to make enemies or what? You know, I just. I'm doing a mastermind on on election day. You have all day to vote. You can vote early. It'll be the day after election day. That's going to be crazy. Yeah. So they're like, yeah, cool. So I'm doing a whole, I started a mastermind group on people who want, or for people who want to launch some dinner churches. And I'm like, that just seems so much it seems like that's what we should be doing. In it does. It does. My brother and I had this conversation because, you know, the early Christians didn't participate in their government because, and I've, I've told my congregation over and over and I'll probably tell them again this week, whoever you go in and vote for doesn't make you Christian or non-Christian to vote right. for them. And whoever you vote for walk out and repent. Right. You had to pick something that was less than perfect because, you know, I don't care who I vote for. I'm sorry, Jesus, that this, you know, and so my brother and I were having the conversation. We, you know, it was sort of the 80s, 70s, 80s, 90s Christians said we have to, you know, the Republican Party luring us in with pro-life movement and and we have to vote. And this is our civic responsibility. I don't know if it is. I don't know. And he said, you know, maybe we should just find ways to serve, find ways to build the kingdom on election day. We belong to something different. Let's participate in that on election day, you know? Ugh. Uh, yeah. I think that the best thing we could do on election day is to do some kingdom work. Mm-hmm. And serve I communion. Think- May I should stand out in front of my church and serve communion. Right? Something, you know? <laughs> wow. Or, or, That's not a bad build, idea. Actually. Build a confession booth and open yeah. that. <laughs> that seems like that'd be more appropriate. As I was looking at my absentee ballot, I'm like, oh, Lord, have mercy. Forgive me for all of my sins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, I totally agree. Like- We've had some really awesome conversations in 2020. Like of all the stuff in 2020, probably has some of the richest, like just authentic conversations with my kids. Um, not just them with me, but me with them and that's I'll I'm taking that away I'm like of all the things in 2020 that have really really sucked (laughs) I could uh have bronze statues made of those conversations if I could you know Mm -hmm. and you know one of the things I've had to try to be aware of is my husband and I both work jobs that were completely unaffected in every way financially yeah. In fact, we got more time off than usual and our pay didn't fluctuate at all. And so I realize that saying these kinds of things comes from that place of privilege because I understand how painful it was and is and will be for many families. But we have just, there have been so, so many good things that have come out of it. You know, our commitment to fitness, um, spending more time outside, spending more time together, more Sabbath. I need, I sort of have felt like for me, this is sort of like Jubilee. A lot of people are complaining about, oh, the businesses are shutting. And I, I feel for that, but also we are, we always just think more, 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 better, 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 add, add, add. We never do subtraction. And I sort of feel like that COVID has forced us into some subtraction that's similar to what I mean, it's not the same, but the idea of getting a reset every 50 years is not a bad plan. Right. Ironically, I turned 50 to COVID. So. 
it wasn't quite the jubilee year for me, but uh, <laughs> I, I did. But once we got through Easter, I kind of, uh, kind of same kind of thing. You just went, you're going, 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 and then just crashed. And I'm really good about my Sabbath, but I found halfway through the week I have to take a half a day. Like Thursday, usually I have to take a half a day. And at first I was like, I just felt guilty. Uh-huh. And then I said, I'm not going to carry that. I'm not going to carry that. Mm-hmm. This is, nobody's experienced this. Be- you know, nobody alive <laughs> uh-uh. has been here. And I just finally gave myself permission. And that's probably been the most freeing. Yeah, I told my husband the other day, I said, I finally, all these years I've talked about it, but I have finally made it part of my life that it's really true that the more rested I am and the more time I spend away, the better pastor that I am for my church. And so I'm done apologizing about it. Um, I'm, you know, I, I, I've always tried to evaluate my week next to their 40 hour work week, blah, blah, blah. Nope. It's totally different. I mean, Brian Zant said at preacher's conference, I, he talked about, he said, you need to stop preaching out of your exhaustion, which I think was one of the most like cold water in my face because that's you know what I do I got other things I need to do other jobs I attend to and so uh, for the last month now I have set aside every morning as he calls it like your monk time and stop calling it your office it's your study that's what pastors rooms were always because that's our work is Mm -hmm. to study and pray so I try to keep mornings themed around that you know that this morning I've been sitting there working on my Sunday stuff and and then other phone calls, emails, whatever can happen after 11 o'clock. But the first hours of the day have to go to the most important task. So, yeah. Well, there is another side to this. I don't know when it's coming, but someday we'll get past it. <laughs> it's good to talk to you. I know. Podcast notwithstanding. It's just good to talk. We should do it more. We should. And I mean, Zoom has its downfalls, but the other thing is you can connect with people a little bit and not have to travel an hour and a half, two hours, three hours to get someplace to connect, you know? So, yeah.